then we can say it or we can memorize it or we can quote it, and it means nothing to us at all. Uh, it becomes a habit, and we're getting in, into the discipline and, and all of that, and we're doing it, and we, we just go kind of go through the motion, and we're sitting here reading Scripture, but we're really thinking, what have I got to do today? Man, I've got all this stuff going on. Or I'm really upset about this situation over here, and I don't know um, how I'm going to handle that kind of situation, and, and, and I'm sitting here reading, but I'm a to God, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, because he looks at our heart and he knows what's going on. And it's kind of like, uh, you ever sit down and talk to somebody and you can, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, they're busy and they start looking at their watch and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of deal. And, and you're thinking, not hearing and they're not uh, listening and they are somewhere else and they'd rather be somewhere else and you're an intrusion in their life. I wonder if God feels that way sometimes about us when we come before him. So focus today for most of us in our society, And we try to equate information with knowledge, and there's two very, very different things, I think. Um, and it's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to have the experience of what the book's talking about. So let me ask you, if you're getting ready to fly on a jet plane, and you have two pilots, and you get to pick which pilot you want, um, you got one pilot who's memorized the training manual, but no experience. You've got another one who's not clear on all the rules and regulations, but he's got 3,000 hours flying time. Which pilot would you choose? Well, the one has all the information. But the other guy knows what he's doing. So there's a difference there between information and knowledge. Um, and... or how to put it into practice, then what good is it? Uh, knowledge for knowledge's sake, facts, There was a creation, there was a growth taking place, a formation, if we want to look at it that way. Um, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about God creating people, and it says that He formed them out of the clay, out of the dust of the earth. He formed them, shaped them, molded them, made them what they were. 
It's this kind of creative, formative growth kind of thing that was taking place when Jesus was speaking to people and that's the authority that they recognized. This is more than just information. This is more than just facts. This is something that is changing, doing something within me. It's feeding something in my soul and it's telling me something about God that I didn't realize before and he's changing me. That's what they were responding to. And the thing is that there's a hunger within each one of us because we were created in the image of God. There's that within us that will respond only to Him. We all have it. Every one of us has that longing and desire in the heart because we were created in His image. And there's a longing there to make that connection, to know the one who's created us and to be a part of what He's doing. We all have it. We all recognize it. We don't always understand what it is. We know we're looking for something, and so we're trying in different ways to satisfy that intense longing to know the one who created us. And so we try uh, popularity. We try fame. We try fortune. We try sex. We try drugs. We try something because we're searching and longing for something to satisfy that inner longing. But there's only one that can satisfy that. And that's what Jesus was explaining and imparting to people as they heard. And that's what draws people to him. He has the words of life in the words of the disciples. You are the one who has the words of life. One of the sad things that took place in the early history of the church was the corruption that took place uh, from the top levels on down. And because of that corruption, um, because the focus had shifted from God into power politics and wealth and possessions, um, a misuse of the authority and the gifts of God, there were those who were seeking and longing to have something different. And when that began, to, it, this was not something from outside, this was something from inside the church that was taking place. And because there was a resistance for the power structure to change, there was what came to be called the Reformation, a reformation of what the church should be. There were people in Jesus' day that understood the situation in which they lived, needed correcting and needed changing and needed something um, because it wasn't meeting their needs. And so there was this intense longing and searching. And because these were the people of God, many of them were searching for the answers to come from God, hoping that God would send the Messiah or a prophet or somebody. They hadn't had a prophet in 400 years. No fresh voice from God, no fresh revelation, no fresh um, witness of his direct involvement in their life, no one to challenge uh, what was taking place socially, politically, and economically around them until John the Baptist came. And this was one of the reasons for this great excitement is people were longing for reformation to take place. Jesus didn't come for reformation. Jesus came for transformation. Re reformation means you're, you're redoing something that's already there. Jesus came to give us a whole new opportunity. Not messing with the stuff that's old and messed up, but making it new. 
And that's the good news. The good news of the gospel is it goes way beyond transformation. It goes way beyond reformation into transformation, changed lives, changed hearts, new opportunities, something that's new. That transformation comes about by revelation and relationship. So we get a good example of this in um, John chapter 3. You remember there was um, one of the, the intelligentsia men that Luke was talking about a minute ago, the real smart guys, part of the Pharisees. One of his older men, a lot of experience and all of that, named Nicodemus. But Nicodemus, a teacher, um, part of the Sanhedrin, one of the leading Pharisees of his day, had a hunger within his heart for God that none of the things he has been doing or been taught, none of the things that was taking place around him could meet. And John the Baptist and Jesus, I don't know if we understand how controversial these guys were. Radical. Uh, and so there was divided opinion on these two guys. And Nicodemus, though, recognized something in Jesus. It was that longing to be reconnected with his Creator that Jesus was ministering to. So Nicodemus at night, because, you know, uh, got pu public opinion here to be think thinking about, and got to watch your reputation, and uh, you don't want people to think less of you or talk ugly about you or make fun of you. So he came at night, and he's wanting information from Jesus. And so he starts out um, very flattering to start... Um, going to get around to asking him his question. So he begins the, Lord, we know that you're a teacher come from God, you know. And Jesus said, look, what you're looking for is not information. What you're looking for is transformation. That only comes by being born again. That comes from being reconnected to the living God who created you and now is offering you a new creation. Nicodemus doesn't understand and that's the whole point, isn't it? You don't have to understand. If God is God, how do we expect to understand everything about Him? There's no way. This is one of the things that Job was struggling with. He faced all these crises in his life, and he didn't know why, and he didn't understand, and so he began to challenge God. Now, God's not threatened by that challenge. And he deals with, uh, if you read the book of Job, it seems pretty harsh, but he's dealing with this man. He's got all this list of questions that he wants to ask God and in order for him to understand so that he can feel comfortable with where he's at. And God is saying, Job, number one, it's impossible for you to understand what I'm doing. Number two... It's not about you. It's about what I'm doing in and through you. And number three, you're going to have to trust me. So, but how did he confront Job? All he did, same thing that he did in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned, uh, he just asked questions. He just asked him a list of questions. So Jesus asked questions as well. In Matthew chapter 7, it's right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus says, starting with verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So our commitment to God has to be more than just words. We can say, Lord, Lord, all we want to, but if we're still living for ourselves, it means nothing, doesn't it? Who's Lord of our life? Whoever we're following. Whoever we're choosing to obey, that's who is Lord of our life. Most of us still live for ourselves, regardless of, of how many times we say, Lord, Lord. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons, perform many miracles, attend all the board meetings and all the meetings that we had at church, served on all the committees, did all the youth group activities, took the the long retreats, did all the things that you asked us to do, and I did more than that. Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Because it was all about doing and not about relationship with who the Lord is. And many times, all of the things that we're doing, scurrying around, and there's nothing wrong with these things that Jesus is talking about here. I mean, this is a, this is a tremendous ministry here. Prophesying. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Casting out demons. It's the power of the presence of the Lord. Performing miracles. It's not about all the things that we're doing because many times all the things that we're doing in the name of the Lord is, look at me. I'm important. Uh, You need me. How can you get along without me? If I don't do it, who's going to do it? And so we make even the things that we say that we do in the name of the Lord, we make it a thing to build ourselves up, to justify, um, to earn, to make sure that God knows who we are so that God can be impressed with our activity. But God is looking at the heart. And this is what was the stumbling block for the Pharisees because they were doing all the right things but from the wrong motives. And when Jesus said the harlots and the drug addicts And the alcoholics and the murderers and the liars and the thieves, they're entering into heaven before you because they're trusting in God to change them in ways that they can't change themselves. They were offended. (laughs) Wait a minute. How does he get to go up to the front of the line? I did a lot more stuff than him. And we get offended. And so Jesus says, yeah, but that's the one who humbled himself. She's the woman who humbled herself before me and asked me to help her. She's the one who gave her life over to me and received the transformation that I offer. Luke records the same conversation and the same context in Luke chapter 6. And he puts the question a little bit differently. Uh, In uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And in Luke 6, 46, in his context, the question Jesus asks is this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? 
That's a very good question. It's a question I need to be asking myself. Why do I call him Lord and yet do what I want and not what he wants? If I do what I want and not him, then I'm the Lord of my life. That's what ego is. Somebody said ego is edging God out. <laughs> so the context in both Matthew and Luke is the introduction to the parable. So the parable comes back in Matthew's gospel again, chapter 7, verse 24. This is how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. This is the ending of the sermon for Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain came down, stream rose, winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The stream, the, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so he says, the only difference between these two men, both heard, both were there in attendance, both were hearing the exact same words. One went out and lived it, and one went out and did what he thought was better. If you build your house on the sand, it's quicker, it's easier, and it's more comfortable to do. But it doesn't last. The only difference between these two men was one put into practice what he heard and one didn't. And that's the only kinds of people that there are in this world. Only two kinds of people. Those who do the will of God and those who don't. That's it. There are no other peoples. Either those who are walking with the Lord or those who are not. Now notice, both these men, the one who built his house on the rock and the one who built his house on the stand, faced the exact same catastrophes. Because he was doing the will of God didn't mean that the floods didn't come. Because he was doing the will of God did not mean that the storms did not come to try to threaten and destroy, to tear up. What it meant was he could weather it because he had a foundation that wasn't going to be shaken. The foundation was the will and the word of God. The man, on the other hand, who faced the exact same circumstances that the unbeliever, uh, as an unbeliever, it destroyed him. So as Christians... We're not sheltered from the normal things of life, the normal crises. We all have those. It's how we face them and how they affect us that becomes different because of the presence of Christ. In John chapter 8, again, Jesus talking to the Pharisees who are beginning to challenge and question him now in an aggressive way. In John chapter 8, verse 31... The Jews who had believed him, to the Jews who had believed him, these are the ones who've accepted Christ now. To those Jews, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So you get what he says here. He's talking to people who have accepted him and he says, you are truly, really my disciples if you live this out. If not, then it's an entertainment, a diversion uh, to come and hear him speak and see if he's going to do something really neat. God spoke to Ezekiel and told him that the problem was everybody was coming to, to Ezekiel and saying, uh, we want to hear the word of the Lord. And God says to Ezekiel, there's a problem here because they hear what you say, but they don't do what you say. So you're nothing more to them than a person who sings beautiful love songs or plays skillfully on a musical instrument. You're nothing but an entertainer to these people because they hear, but they don't do Nothing's changed in the person's life. Information, but no transformation. Chewing the Word of God, but never swallowing it. Never letting it come down and give you life and change what you are. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Not information, because they were all hearing. These were intelligent people. Then you will know the truth because you're living it then the truth sets you free if we don't know the freedom it's because we're not putting it into practice if we put that truth into practice the shackles fall off and we are free when we stand before the Lord on judgment day it's not going to be a quiz it's not going to be a test Can you name all 16 prophets in order? Do you have the Beatitudes memorized beginning to end without fail? <laughs> How many times did you go to church? <laughs> it's not that kind of a deal, is it? Do you know the Lord? More importantly, does He know you? Jesus said, I know my own. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they will not follow anybody else. And I know them because... They are mine. So there we are. Know the truth. Um, and the idea is that spiritual clarity and perception always follows submission to God's ways. Spiritual clarity and perception. Now that's not necessarily meaning information. Spiritual perception there's a connection between the living God and the life of God is imparted to us as we read and study the scripture. More than information, relationship. In the book of Exodus, when um, God was calling Moses, there was the burning bush. Moses goes over, you remember, and uh, God calls to him, this bush is burning, which is not unusual in the desert. But this bush was burning and the bush wasn't being burned up. There it was. It would be like if we saw a bush on fire and the leaves are still green and the bark's not turning black. It's just there and it's burning. And it's, there's no ash. I'd like some of that wood in my fireplace. <laughs> and so this, this wood, this bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And Moses says, man, I'm going to go look at this. He goes over there and the voice of God comes and calls him and says, Moses, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. And he, man, I thought it was just out here in the desert takes his shoes off and God tells him that about the, he's heard the prayers and the cries of his people and he's come down to deliver them and so he says to Moses I'm sending you 
And Moses is crawfishing, you know, he's back, backpedaling as fast as he can. He's like, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy, I'm too old, I'm 80 years old, uh, get somebody who's a little younger, uh, I'm a fugitive, get somebody who's, who's not a criminal, uh, you know, I can't go back there, um, I've been out in the desert for 40 years, I don't, I don't know how to, how to talk well anymore, I've, I've been with the sheep, you know, they don't talk back, they don't use big words. <laughs> uh, and so God says, well, that's all right. I'll help you out. Let me give you a sign. So he says in verse 10 of Exodus 3, Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Because God just told him he's going to deliver him. <laughs> now go, I'm going sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, Don't worry, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought them out, brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, what kind of a sign is that? You don't get the sign until after the fact. <laughs> in other words, you've got to go in order to know that it's God who's calling you. Same thing with Abraham. I want you to go where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. Go. Your job is to go. So what he's calling us to is trust and obedience. We don't have to understand. Moses didn't understand. Abraham didn't understand. The disciples didn't understand. The gospel writers tell you over and over again. Jesus told them and it just went right over their head. They didn't understand it at all until after the resurrection until after the Holy Spirit came and helped them understand. So God calls us. He tells us that God is going to work in us and through us. In Philippians 2, Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Literally, it means live it out. Live out your salvation now, today. Live it out. Put it into practice be the incarnation of the Word of God. God's Word in the flesh, your flesh, my flesh. Live out your salvation because, with fear and trembling, because God is working in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. So He says, live your life in the presence of God. Because God is working in your life. Did you know that? God is working in your life. And there's no, no age requirement on this. If you're alive, God is working in your life. Both to will and to do His good pleasure. Ezekiel said the same thing. God says, I'm going to come to my people. I'm going to give them an undivided heart and a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone replace it with a heart of flesh, and I will move them to follow me. God is doing that, taking away the hardness of our heart. You remember they had a, a question for Jesus about divorce. And they said, you know, they were trying to trap him and trick him. He went back to the beginning, talked about God created Adam and Eve in the beginning. He put them together. What he joins together, they become one, and they're not to be divided. And they said, well, wait a minute. What about Moses? Moses gave us 
the opportunity to give a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, yes, he did, because of the hardness of your heart. But that's not the will and intent of God for marriage. It's the hardness of your heart. So God speaks through Ezekiel and he says, I'm going to remove the heart of stone, take away the hardness, the resistance, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. The problem with the heart of flesh is it's open and vulnerable. Right? So that's your choices. You can open your heart to be broken or you can harden your heart and be dead. And that's your choices. On the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection that afternoon, disciples were walking along and they were in grief. They were in shock. Um, they didn't know how to deal with the destruction of everything that they had hoped for, everything that they had trusted to be true, and they were so disappointed in Jesus. They thought he was going to be the Messiah, and he let them crucify him. What kind of a God would do that? How can he help us? He didn't even help himself. So, then they say he's risen from the dead. Well, what's that all about? And what good does it do? What does it change? And they don't know. They're fearful. They have doubts. Uh, they're confused. They have no clue what God expects of them or what it all means. And so they're talking about it, and this stranger comes up, and he starts talking about them. They walk seven miles. And during that seven-mile journey, Jesus is opening up the Scriptures from Old Testament all the way through, from the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms, um, explaining about how the Messiah was supposed to suffer and what the meaning of the cross was. They got ready to leave, and um, so they're exercising hospitality now. This is normal things which people did in those days. Stranger comes through, don't have a place to stay, come stay with us. Uh, we'll take care of you for the night. A little different from now, huh? So, uh, without cost. Anyway, um, so they invite him in and they ask him uh, to bless the meal. And so, while they walked along the road, it says that their hearts were burning on fire because he was opening the scriptures to them. And they were understanding, and more than that, a transformation was taking place. And how, as he was doing that, the burdens were being lifted from them. As he began to minister his word to their hearts, that longing, <clears throat> that emptiness was being filled, was being full. And then when he gave the blessing, it was in the blessing that the revelation came. And God, through Jesus Christ, is here to bless you and to bless me. The blessing is the reconnection with the God who created us. The transformation of out of the darkness into the light, out of the death into the life, out of the despair into the hope. And that's what Jesus is all about. And it's the relationship that the scriptures were telling them about. And what they discovered when Jesus broke the bread and blessed them, he's here. It's not for tomorrow. 
It's not for yesterday. It's now. It's not for somebody else. It's me in my home, in my family today. It's for us. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you are the God who through your word creates life out of nothing. And as your word begins to take root in our hearts and lives, as we begin to live out the life that you've given to us, and we begin to know and be set free and to enter into a deeper relationship with you, the blinders fall off and we begin to see you for who you are and to realize when we thought we were all alone, you were with us all along. So Lord, help us to see, help us to hear, help us to take to heart your words, to dare to live them out and experience the freedom, the cleansing, the hope, the new life that you've come to give. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.